0: talking to you. Yes, you. My name is Sherry. My pup's name is Sunny, and we're training to be an animal-assisted counseling team. You're listening to the Therapy Dog Talk podcast, the show that interviews past, present, and future therapy dog teams about how they're making an impact in their communities. Today we're talking with Melinda Truplett stimson a scientist, consultant, charity director, and certified animal-assisted therapy professional in Ohio, who is currently in the field of neuroethology and focuses on decolonization work in STEM. Mel also works with their therapy partner, Bowie, a Norwegian Forest Cat Mix. We'll discuss how working with the unhoused led Mel to animal-assisted therapy, why Mel got involved in training and education for animal-assisted social work, and what we can do to address our own biases and awareness. Before we hop in, if you're just getting started on your therapy dog journey and feeling a bit lost, I've put together a free guide for you, which you can find on my website at freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. Without further ado, meet Mel. Hello! Hi. Hi! There we go. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Good. I'm so glad we finally get to talk. Hooray. We've been on this conversation for a while. (laughs) Well, Mel, for those who don't know you, can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about how you're involved with animal-assisted therapy?
1: Yeah, so titles I usually list are scientist, consultant, charity director, graduate student right now and professional disruptor. So I focus a lot on decolonization work stem, so science, technology, engineering and medicine. Again, my name is Mel, they them pronouns and right now I am in the field of neuroethology, so that's sort of where I got into animal behavior.
0: Very cool. It's an impressive background. How did you originally discover the field of animal assisted therapy? I know you just kind of mentioned a little bit how you got on, but if you could dive a little deeper into that.
1: Yeah, I first was introduced through social work. I do a lot of work with the unhoused communities and nomadic communities because I'm Roma and indigenous. So I do A lot of work there in terms of just direct action, helping them connect to social services, making sure they're fed, clothed, getting them to medical appointments, things like that. And then I just started noticing that they also have pets with them. There's a lot of animals there, and I sort of noticed this trend where there were a lot of groups coming in and taking care of the human aspect, but not necessarily the pets. So. I sort of had a bridge care between the human welfare and the animal welfare and then sort of diving into some of the like misconceptions with a lot of our animal rescues although they mean well they'll come into the camps and their first thought is to remove the animal from the situation and a lot of times it's happened and I've seen the fallout those rescues don't then come back and check in on the humans that they've left behind why would they it's really not their scope but I saw the fallout the emotional and mental toll which then took a physical toll on people being removed from their animals and I was like you know what there's something to this so then I sort of got into animalistic therapy through just doing research and studying and educating rescues and shelters about it's great you're doing community outreach for the unhoused but the doing it, the very colonized way we're doing it by taking their animals away. That's not the way. That's not how we should be doing things. And then here's all the studies why. And a lot of those studies showing the importance of keeping animals with their humans. They came from analysis of therapy realm.
0: Wow, that's such a unique way to come into it. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the first time that I've heard that pathway, but it makes sense because I know yeah. here in Los Angeles, we have a lot of unhoused. And one of the reasons that I've heard for people not wanting to go to shelters is that they're not able to take their animals. And exactly. I know the same is true in like domestic violence situations as well. To leave their right. animals behind is a barrier. So
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, a cultural barrier, too. So there are folks that I wouldn't necessarily say choose to be unhoused, but there are cultures, for example, being Roma, there are certain subgroups of the Romani people that intentionally live outdoors. They intentionally are nomadic and they move around. Usually it's between like a three-state region here in the U.S. So usually it's like on the West Coast, it would be Oregon, Washington, California, but they're always nomadic and moving because it's become a cultural aspect for them. So them going to a shelter isn't going to happen. Not only is it not going to happen because they don't want to be removed from the animals, it's not going to happen from a cultural perspective either. So we need to find ways to support them and what they choose to live.
0: Yeah. So you really discovered, I guess, the power of the human-animal bond then through your work with you. Yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> big time. <laughs> How did that lead to your path towards becoming a certified animal assisted therapy professional?
1: The first thing I noticed, as human animal, that sort of hierarchy, that dichotomy for me was always a little off-putting and human-animal bond itself because for me, with my cultural background, there really isn't a human animal aspect. So animals are our kin, our kin folk. Plants are our ancestors. So that at first I was like, that's a little weird. And then I started diving into this and trying to find other animal assisted therapy and animal assisted intervention folks that have similar culture background and I couldn't find anyone so uh, I think we're all aware that it's a very whitewashed field mm-hmm. so that is what really made me realize I kind of need to be here I need to be in the space for animal assisted therapy. Okay so
0: it was really kind of DIJ driven then for yeah. <laughs> the <field. laughs> which I know we'll get into a little bit more later. Okay, that's great. So who have your animal partners been along the way and where have you worked together with them?
1: Uh, My primary is definitely my personal cat, Bowie. He's a Norwegian forest cat mix. So he's been my first one that I really focused on my own. I technically started in equine psychotherapy. So that's where I did a lot of my internships for my animal system therapy program. Uh, I love that. I love that world. But of course, with an equine world, I encountered a lot of barriers where the barns I were having to go to, for example, right on their fence line would be a very right winged flag or poster or something. So right when I was going into the barns for equine psychotherapy as an in turn, I immediately was met with something that felt very uncomfortable and unsafe for me and those people that ran the barns of course are great people but just that in itself their lack of awareness of having that out there on their fence line I was like, what is that saying to people that are coming here for equine psychotherapy? Mm-hmm. And then I looked at those populations and I'm like, well they're also very homogenous too why aren't we serving people of color? Why aren't we serving marginalized groups? Why aren't more marginalized and disenfranchised folks that have strong connections with animals coming to animal-assisted therapy and similar interventions? Like, why was there a gap there of the community that we're serving, I guess? Did I answer the question? You may have to remind me of the question.
0: That's okay. No, I I love where you (laughs) took it, but my question was just where you work together with your animal partners.
1: Yeah, so but we we mostly do hospitals. So we do a lot of our local hospitals here, and we've been trying to get more into mental health facilities. So more outpatient facilities there, because that is a big passion for me. There's just you know a lot of issues with our mental health facilities, and I think animals being brought in can be so helpful for people that are either in crisis, in transition, or in long term care.
0: Okay, great. I know recently, um, the past two or three years, I think you said you've been focused more on training and education specifically. How did that path look like for you to go into training and education? How did you kind of find yourself in that realm?
1: Uh, Sort got into that path with social workers reaching out to me and sort of seeing the work I was doing with the unhoused camps and the Romani encampments and them sort of reaching out to me and saying, would you consider doing a webinar or like teaching us this? Because they were coming to me for like a bunch of unpaid labor all the time. And they're like, you really should make webinar. I'm like, you're right, because this is kind of getting exhausting. <laughs> so <laughs> it'd be nice to have one singular space where we could all come together. So that's sort of how I got into it. And then that also led me down the path of DIJ, we call it D I J training at LAB, and that's what got me into that as well, it's because they also needed some cultural competency, cultural awareness work too.
0: Awesome. Since you just mentioned LAB, and I know you're joining in yeah. <laughs> with our Behavior Account, which is a LAB stands for, for those who aren't familiar. I- yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about LAB?
1: Yeah, so. We started as LUDAR, animal behavior, started with just focusing on pet behavior, working with zoo. This for wildlife enrichment things like that, and then it sort of turned into a passion project where I started it being told in animal behavior world, especially pet behavior world, you just got to start your own business, just you. And then I'm like, this is not in line with any of my cultural beliefs. My cultural beliefs are very collective based, they're community based, they're not individual based. And I'm like, this is lonely and this is awful. <laughs> like, why do I have to do it like this? So I started bringing in volunteers and we've slowly we're still in transition but we've slowly been making lab a collective so that's why we started using lab instead of just our animal behavior we started bringing it into lab to sort of highlight the other features that other volunteers bring in terms of like dei work some of them do different types of things a lot of them are more dog training savvy than i am so they're bringing in their dog training expertise so that's sort of how lab has evolved
0: okay I did not know that I follow y'all but I did not know that yeah <laughs> thanks for sharing that so from the work then that you did with social workers that's how you really got involved in training and education is that webinar is something that's accessible like how would someone access training from you if that's something that they were interested in
1: yeah the first step is definitely emailing us contacting us emails preferred that way we our email all our volunteers can check so the first step is sort of of just expressing to us what your needs are and where your gaps are. If you know where your gaps are, some people don't know where their gaps are and we have to, you know, sort of help them identify those gaps. And then from there, we sort of determine how many people we need. If it's something I could tackle by myself, great. But if I need other lived experiences from other volunteers, then we come in as a group. So the first step is definitely just reaching out to us and telling us, and don't worry if it's unpolished. If you don't know the word, Just try to express it as best as you can for us. And then we sort of go from there. We are working on our online courses too. So that will be something that's coming up next year, hopefully by May next year. So we'll have more on demand, learn as you go. But if you want something more personal, then definitely reach out to us.
0: That's really great. I have a feeling you'd be bringing a whole new perspective to the field, so i definitely get yeah. it in a check what, what you <laughs> make available. That's fantastic. Mel, what do you really enjoy the most about animal-assisted therapy work?
1: I would say just doing connections with people, which I know what a lot of folks say but it's healing for yourself it's i always say like self-care is community care and for me animal as a therapy is community because there's always another living being there with you it's not just you it's you and your animal so that community feeling and that like community healing is what i think i like the most about it because people really open up, let their guards down and connect when an animal is present.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a magical combination. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love that. What advice do you have for someone who's interested in becoming an animal assisted therapy team?
1: I think my primary advice comes from a very perspective of being Indigenous is that you really need to find someone, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a good friend to sort of be your support system, but identify a support system that you can trust and lean on first, I think is the biggest thing because there are a lot of barriers and a lot of hurdles folks that are BIPOC or a lot of folks who just experience any form of marginalization within society or living outside of the mainstream society. There's a lot of barriers that I wasn't really aware of until I encountered them. And then when I encountered them, I was like very traumatized. So I had to sort of backtrack and reach out and build a support system. If I had built a support system beforehand, I think it would have been a lot easier to deal with.
0: Yeah, I like that. Having an important system is definitely really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not an easy field to get into. And as you mentioned, BIPOC groups and other underrepresented groups, it's that much more difficult. There's a lot of barriers. Yeah, there's
1: a lot of things that I didn't notice in terms of just how, the field in general the field of like all psychology if psychology is an umbrella there's a lot of stuff that is very mainstream society norms that aren't norms for me that i didn't realize that existed if that sense I'm sure this will make more sense to BIPOC folks but I didn't even think about that being possibly harmful to me at some point until Mm -hmm. I encountered someone with a certain mindset that was the standard mindset and I'm like this is not the standard mindset in my communities at all (laughs) this is like not this is the opposite of what we do
0: yeah and you know as you mentioned earlier in your work with the unhoused, there's so many people who could benefit from animal assisted therapy that might not have access through some of the more standard mainstream methods of how yeah. you actually access animal assisted therapy or even animal assisted mental health in general yeah. yeah they don't
1: have that and that's the big thing with animal assisted therapy and activities is that they can bridge that gap
0: so kind of along those notes lab is also focused
1: on DEI. I think call it Dij. Is that So you said training. <laughs> yeah, they call it Dej. You can pronounce it however you know. Everyone has their own little acronyms. I pronounce it deej because it's the romanese word for mother. So okay. that's why I pronounce it like that. But it's D E I J. So diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice in terms of restorative justice.
0: I love that. And so Lab is focused on days training and peer support. What are some of your goals as a collective with anti-racism and social justice within the animal space?
1: goals, I would say right now the bare minimum is just the representation. Just helping young professionals and not even young professionals, but people that are new to the field, get into the field and access the field. And getting research published by people from marginalized identities, that is a huge hurdle for me personally is getting that research done by people with lived experience in the communities we're doing research on. (laughs) And it seems like something that should be the standard, but but it's not, unfortunately. So that's sort of the first step for me. Lab as a whole, our biggest thing is just supporting and empowering people that experience marginalization within society. So we have our DAGE fund, which is our mutual aid fund, where we noticed that this is not a brag, but we did notice we're the only animal welfare organization that has a mutual aid fund. And we haven't found anyone else doing it. We found some doing like accessibility funds to help people cover the cost of like pet behavior consults or help people with veterinary care, but we didn't find anything that was actually helping professionals wanting to get into the field. So that is our collective goal right now is just mutual aid support, supporting and empowering folks with whatever they need. And majority of the time it's financial. They need monetary support. They need help paying for school. They need help paying for CEUs. They need help paying their rent. So maybe they can take a couple days off to go to the webinars, you know, like they need all that financial support. Yeah,
0: definitely. Definitely. And I know there was an online conference. I don't know if you were involved in it or if you were just sharing it around professionals in the canine space increasing representation and and making it more accessible to animal professionals of color and things like that. I'm sorry, I'm
1: blanking on the exact name of the conference. There's been a lot. So I I don't know the specific one either. But there's there's been a lot of BIPOC-led initiatives to try to improve representation for certain in all aspects and dog training veterinary medicine and animal assisted therapy i would say i've seen it most with dog training and vet med i haven't seen it very much with animal assisted therapy or just mental health yet but i think we're slowly getting there
0: yeah oh it was the canine conference in color is the one i was thinking about. oh yeah 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 Okay. And I know like that event, for example, had a scholarship for continuing learning for
1: animal professionals of color too. So yeah, I think they attempted a scholarship program there and then the conference itself was free too for folks.
0: Yeah. Where do you see other people working in animal assisted therapy or volunteering with their dogs? How can those who are already in the space help to make it more accessible for those who would be interested in being in the space, but may not feel welcome or may not be able
1: to access across the barriers. I think that- first thing is very individualistic, but you need to really tackle your own biases and your own prejudices because that was always a setback for me. So a real example would be someone that I admire, a mentor, someone that puts out a lot of great AAT research. Once I start talking to them, they're starting to drop in microaggressions. They're starting to use the G word, the gypsy word for the Roma people and I'm having to stop them and ask them please don't use that word. And then we have to go into an education session of why I don't want them to use that word when talking with me as a fellow professional. So that takes away mental and emotional bandwidth for me because I'm going to have to educate them on this. And then we're not talking about AAT anymore. So I'm not learning gaps I have for AAT anymore. I'm then turning around and educating them on things they could Google. So I think that's really the first step that you need to identify where your gaps are as best as you can. Sometimes we don't know our gaps until someone else points it out and when they do that can make folks really go back inside themselves and get defensive and try not to do that try to sit with it process it be uncomfortable discomfort's going to happen but try to learn from that move past those biases i
0: think that's really great advice i mean no matter where Volunteering or working with your dog, you're going to encounter someone that you're going to have a bias that impacts them yeah. whether or not you realize it. So it's really
1: important to be aware of those biases. Yeah, And going back to the barn example, you know, that was a very literal example. Maybe don't put that flag on your fence line. <laughs> if that's the first thing people are seeing, that's immediately going to turn them off. And it's not just a difference of opinion, it's people feeling unsafe, physically unsafe. And most people aren't actually out to harm others with their certain beliefs they may not even know that those beliefs are harmful so you gotta first sit and process your stuff first I think is my best advice
0: yeah that's pretty solid I think awesome (laughs) well Mel is there anything else that you wanted to share
1: while you're here I don't think so. Other than we talk about the Daesh Fund, we're always looking for financial contributions there. Our peer support services are sort of right now, they're as needed. So as folks reach out to us, or for example, during Thanksgiving, we had a peer support group that went for several days for folks that are Native or Indigenous in general, especially like Indigenous North America, whether they're First Nations, Native, whatever label they prefer to use. We had a peer support group going for them because those holidays are really rough for us so we normally do those as a need basis but those are always free and the way we sort of offset that and pay our social workers our therapists that come in for this is through our mutual aid funds okay, okay. so if you have the ability to donate please do if you don't we have other things like volunteering for us we always have different needs and serves of like web development helping moderate our social media comments helping with accessibility on our social media posts we always have ways for someone to help out
0: awesome and the best way for them to find you is at ludar behavior here
1: on instagram yeah instagram is definitely our primary social media we do have a tiktok some of the volunteers check in on that i don't go in that world at all (laughs) i feel a bit too old for that world but then there's also our facebook too
0: okay great All right. Well, thank you, Mel. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share your insights and your experiences in animal assisted therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. Have a great day. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of therapy dog talk. If you did, please do me a favor and leave a review and rating on the podcast platform of your choice. If you have a guest that you think would be a great fit for therapy dog talk, Send me an email at hello at therapydogtalk.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.